Section 7 of The Romance of a Mummy and Egypt. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. The Romance of a Mummy and Egypt by Theophile Gaucher. Translated by F. C. de Sumacrast. Section 7. Chapter 3. In spite of her usual perspicacity, Nefre had not noticed the effect produced on her mistress by the sight of the careless stranger. She had observed neither her pallor, followed by a deep blush, nor the brighter gleam of her glance, nor the rustling of the enamels and pearls of her necklace rising and falling with her bosom. It is true that her whole attention was given to the management of the equipage, which presented a good deal of difficulty in view of the ever-denser masses of sightseers crowding to be present at the triumphal entrance of the pharaoh. At last the car reached the parade ground, a vast enclosure carefully leveled for military displays. Great banks, which must have cost thirty enslaved nations the labor of years, formed a bold framework for the immense parallelogram. Sloping, revetment walls of unbaked bricks covered the banks, and the crests were lined many files deep by hundreds of thousands of Egyptians, whose white or brightly striped costumes fluttered in the sun with that constant motion characteristic of a multitude, even when it seems to be motionless. Behind this ring of spectators, the cars, chariots, and litters, watched by the coachmen, drivers, and slaves, seemed to be the camp of a migrating nation, so great was their number. For Thebes, the wonder of the ancient world, reckoned more inhabitants than do certain kingdoms. The fine, smooth sand of the vast arena, lined with a million people, sparkled under the light, falling from a sky as blue as the enamel of the Osiris statuettes. On the southern side of the parade ground, the revetment wall was cut through by a road which ran towards Upper Egypt, along the foot of the Libyan chain. At the opposite corner of the revetment was again cut, so that the road was prolonged to the palace of Ramesses Miemun, through the thick brick walls. Padamunov's daughter and Nofre, for whom the servants had made room, stood on this corner on the top of the wall, so that they could see the whole procession pass at their feet. A mighty rumor, low, deep, and powerful, like that of an advancing ocean, was heard in the distance, and drowned the innumerable noises arising from the crowd, as the roar of a lion silences the yelping of a tribe of jackals. Soon the separate sounds of the instruments were heard amidst the thunderous noise produced by the driving of war chariots and the rhythmic marching of the soldiers. A sort of reddish mist like that raised by the desert wind filled the sky in that direction, and yet there was no breeze, not a breath of air, and the most delicate branches of the palms were as motionless as if they had been carved on granite capitals. Not a hair moved on the wet temples of the women, and the fluted lappets of their headdresses fell limp behind their backs. The dusty mist was produced by the army on the march, and hovered above it like a dun-colored cloud. The roar increased, the cloud of dust opened, and the first files of musicians debouched into the vast arena, to the intense delight of the multitude, which, notwithstanding its respect for the majesty of the pharaoh, 
was beginning to weary of waiting under a sunshine which would have melted any but egyptian skulls the advance guard of musicians stopped for a few moments delegations of priests and deputations of the chief inhabitants of thebes crossed the parade-ground to meet the pharaoh and drew up in double line in attitudes of the deepest respect so as to leave a free passage for the procession the music which alone might have formed a small army was composed of drums tambourines trumpets and sistra the first squad passed blowing a sounding blare of triumph through its short copper bugles that shone like gold every one of these musicians carried a second bugle under his arm as if the instrument were likely to be worn out before the man the costume of the trumpeters consisted of a short tunic bound by a sash the broad ends of which fell in front a narrow band upholding two ostrich plumes fastened their thick hair the plumes thus placed looked like the antenna of a scarabus and imparted to those who wore them a quaint insect-like appearance the drummers clad in a mere pleated kilt and bare to the belt struck with sycamore sticks the wild ass skin stretched over their kettle drums suspended from a leather baldric keeping the time which the drum major marked by clapping his hands as he frequently turned towards them next to the drummers came the sistrum players who shook their instruments with sharp quick movements and at regular intervals made the metal rings sound upon the four bronze bars the tambourine players carried transversely before them their oblong instrument fastened by a scarf passed behind their neck and struck with both fists the skin stretched on either end each band numbered not less than two hundred men but the storm of sound produced by the bugles drums sistra and tambourines which would have been deafening within the palace was in no wise too loud or too tremendous under the vast cupola of the heavens in the centre of that immense space amid buzzing multitudes at the head of an army which baffles enumeration and which was advancing with the roar of great waters besides were eight hundred musicians too many to precede the pharaoh beloved of amun ra represented by colossi of basalt and granite sixty cubits high whose name was written on the cartouches of imperishable monuments and whose story was carved and painted upon the walls of the hypostyle halls on the sides of pillars in endless bassi relievi and innumerable frescoes was it too much indeed for a king who dragged a hundred conquered nations by their hair and from the height of his throne ruled the nations with his whip for the living sun that flamed on dazzled eyes for one who save that he did not possess eternal life was a god behind the music came the captive barbarians strange to look at with bestial faces black skins woolly hair as much like monkeys as men and dressed in the costume of their country a skirt just above the hips held by a single brace embroidered with ornaments in diverse colors an ingenious cruelty had directed the binding together of the prisoners some were bound by the elbows behind the back others by their hands raised above their head in the most uncomfortable position others again had their wrists caught in stocks others with their neck in an iron collar or held by a rope which fastened a whole file of them with a loop for each victim it seemed as if the object sought 
had been to thwart as much as possible natural attitudes in the fettering of these poor wretches who marched before their conqueror awkwardly and with difficulty rolling their big eyes and twisting and writhing in pain guards marched at their side striking them with sticks to make them keep time next came bowed with shame exposed in their wretched deformed nudity dark-complexioned women with long-hanging tresses carrying their children in a piece of stuff fastened around their brow a vile herd intended for the meanest uses others young handsome and fairer their arms adorned with broad bracelets of ivory their ears pulled down by great metal discs wrapped themselves in long wide-sleeved tunics embroidered around the neck and falling in fine close folds down to their ankles on which rattled anklets poor girls snatched from their country their parents their lovers perhaps yet they smiled through their tears for the power of beauty is boundless strangeness gives birth to caprice and perhaps the royal favor awaited some of these barbaric captives in the secret depths of the harem soldiers accompanied them and kept the multitude from crowding upon them standard-bearers followed bearing on high the golden staff of their ensigns which represented mystic baris sacred hawks heads of hathor surmounted by ostrich plumes winged ibex cartouches bearing the king's name crocodiles and other warlike or religious symbols long white streamers spotted with black spots were tied to these standards and fluttered gracefully on the march at the sight of the standards which announced the arrival of the pharaoh the deputations of priests and notables stretched out their hands in supplication towards him or let them fall on their knees the palms turned up some even prostrated themselves their knees close to the body their faces in the dust in an attitude of absolute submission and deep adoration while the spectators waved great palm branches a herald or reader holding in his hand a roll covered with hieroglyphic signs marched along between the standard-bearers and the incense-burners who preceded the king's litter he shouted in a loud voice as sonorous as a brazen trumpet the victories of the pharaoh he related the fortunes of the pharaoh's battles announced the number of captives and of war chariots taken from the enemy the amount of the booty the measures of gold dust the elephant's tusks the ostrich plumes the quantities of balsamic gum the giraffes lions panthers and other rare animals he named the barbaric chiefs who had been slain by the javelins of his majesty the almighty aurorus favorite of the gods at each proclamation the people uttered a mighty shout and from the top of the revetment banks threw down upon the conqueror's pathway long green palm branches at last the pharaoh appeared priests who turned and faced him at regular intervals swung their censers after having cast incense upon the coals lighted in a little bronze cup which was held by a hand at the end of a sort of sceptre topped by a sacred animal's head they marched respectfully backwards while the scented blue smoke rose to the nostrils of the triumphant sovereign apparently as indifferent to these honors as if he were a god of bronze or basalt twelve oris or military chiefs their heads covered with a light helmet surrounded by an ostrich plume bare to the belt their loins wrapped in a loincloth of stiff folds wearing their buckler hanging from their belt supported a sort of dais on which rested the throne of the pharaoh this was a chair with feet and arms formed of lions 
with a high back provided with a cushion that fell over it and adorned on its sides with a network of rose and blue flowers the feet the arms and the edges of the throne were gilded while brilliant colors filled the places left empty on either side of the litter four fan-bearers waved huge feather fans semicircular in form carried at the end of long gilded handles two priests bore a huge cornucopia richly ornamented whence fell quantities of giant lotus flowers the pharaoh wore a helmet shaped like a mitre and cut out around the ears where it fell over the neck by way of a protection on the blue ground of the helmet sparkled innumerable dots like bird's eyes formed of three circles black white and red it was adorned with scarlet and yellow lines and the symbolic uraeus snake twisting its golden scales on the forepart rose and swelled above the royal brow two long purple fluted lappets fell upon his shoulders and completed this majestic headdress a broad necklace of seven rows of enamels gems and golden beads swelled on the pharaoh's breast and shone in the sun his upper garment was a sort of close-fitting jacket of rose and black checkers the ends of which shaped like narrow bands were twisted tightly several times around the bust the sleeves which came down to the biceps and were edged with transverse lines of gold red and blue showed round firm arms the left provided with a broad wristlet of metal intended to protect it from the switch of the cord when the pharaoh shot an arrow from his triangular bow his right arm was adorned with a bracelet formed of a serpent twisted several times on itself and in his hand he held a long golden sceptre ending in a lotus bud the rest of the body was enveloped in the finest linen cloth with innumerable folds held to the hips by a girdle inlaid with plates of enamel and gold between the jacket and the belt the torso showed shining and polished like rose granite worked by a skilful workman sandals with pointed upturned toes protected his long narrow feet which were held close to one another like the feet of the gods on the walls of the temples his smooth beardless face with its great regular features which it seemed impossible for any human emotion to alter and which the blood of vulgar life did not color with its death-like pallor its closed lips its great eyes made larger still by black lines the eyelids of which never closed any more than did those of the sacred hawk inspired through its very immobility respect and awe it seemed as though those fixed eyes gazed upon eternity and the infinite only surrounding objects did not appear to be reflected in them the satiety of enjoyment of will satisfied the moment it was expressed the isolation of a demigod who has no fellow among mortals the disgust of worship and the weariness of triumph had forever marked that face implacably sweet and of granite-like serenity not even osiris judging the souls of the dead could look more majestic and more calm a great tame lion lying on its side by the litter stretched out its enormous paws like a sphinx upon a pedestal and winked its yellow eyes a rope fixed to the litter fastened to the pharaoh the chariots of the conquered chiefs he dragged them behind him like animals in a leash these vanquished chiefs in gloomy fierce attitudes whose elbows drawn together by their points formed an ugly angle staggered awkwardly as they were dragged by the cars driven by egyptian coachmen next came the war chariots of the young princes of the royal family drawn by pairs of thoroughbred horses of noble and elegant shape 
with slender legs and muscular quarters their manes cut close and short shaking their heads adorned with red plumes frontlets and headgear of metal bosses a curved pole adorned with scarlet squares pressed down on their withers and supported two small saddles surmounted with balls of polished brass held together by a light yoke with curved ends girths and breast harnesses richly embroidered and superb housings rayed with blue or red and fringed with tufts completed their strong graceful and light harness the body of the car painted red and green and ornamented with plates and bosses of bronze like the boss on the bucklers had on either side two great quivers placed diagonally in opposite directions the one containing javelins and the other arrows on either side a carved and gilded lion its face wrinkled with a dreadful grin seemed to roar and to be about to spring at the foe the young princes wore for a headdress a narrow band which bound their hair and in which twisted as it swelled its hood the royal asp for dress they wore a tunic embroidered around the neck and the sleeves with brilliant embroidery and bound at the waist with a leather belt fastened with a metal plate on which were engraved hieroglyphs through the belt was passed a long triangular brazen-bladed poniard the handle of which fluted transversely ended in a hawk's head on the car by the side of each prince stood the driver whose business it was to drive during the battle and the equerry charged with warding off with a buckler the blows directed at the fighter while he himself shot his arrows or hurled the javelins which he took from the quivers at the sides behind the princes came the chariots which formed the egyptian cavalry to the number of twenty thousand each drawn by two horses and carrying three men these chariots came ten abreast with wheels almost touching yet never meeting so skilful were the drivers some lighter cars intended for skirmishes and reconnaissances came foremost bearing a single warrior who in order to have his hands free while fighting passed the reins around his body by leaning to the right to the left or backwards he directed and stopped his horses and it was truly marvellous to see these noble animals which seemed left to themselves guided by imperceptible movements and preserving an unchangingly regular gait on one of these chariots the elegant amosis nofre's protege showed his tall figure and cast his glance over the multitude trying to make out tahoser the trampling of the horses held in with difficulty the thunder of the bronze-bound wheels the metallic jostling of weapons imparted to the procession an imposing and formidable character well calculated to strike terror into the bravest souls helmets plumes corselets covered with green red and yellow scales gilded bows brazen swords flashed and gleamed fiercely in the sun shining in the heavens above the libyan chain like a great osiris eye and one felt that the charge of such an army must necessarily sweep the nations before it even as the storm drives the light straw under these numberless wheels the earth resounded and trembled as if in the throes of an earthquake next to the chariots came the infantry battalions marching in order the men carrying their shields on the left arm and a lance a javelin a bow a sling or an axe in the right hand the soldiers wore helmets adorned with two horsehair tails their bodies were protected by a cuirass of crocodile skin their impassable look the perfect regularity of their motions their coppery complexion deepened still more by the recent expedition to the burning regions of upper egypt 
the desert dust which lay upon their clothes inspired admiration for their discipline and courage with such soldiers egypt could conquer the world then came the troops of the allies easily known by the barbarous shape of their helmets like mitres cut off or else surmounted with a crescent stuck on a point their broad-bladed swords their saw-edged axes must have inflicted incurable wounds slaves carried the booty announced by the herald on their shoulders or on stretchers and belluaria led panthers wild cats crawling as if they sought to hide themselves ostriches flapping their wings giraffes overtopping the crowd with their long necks and even brown bears taken it was said in the mountains of the moon the king had long since entered his palace yet the defile was still proceeding as he passed the revetment on which stood tahoser and nofre the pharaoh whose leader borne upon the shoulders of oeris placed him above the crowd on a level with the young girl had slowly fixed upon her his dark glance he had not turned his head not a muscle of his face had moved and his features had remained as motionless as the golden mask of a mummy yet his eyes had turned between his painted eyelids towards tahoser and a flash of desire had lighted up their sombre discs an effect as terrific as if the granite eyes of a divine simulacrum suddenly lighted up were to express a human thought he had half raised one of his hands from the arm of his throne a gesture imperceptible to every one but which one of the servants marching near the litter noticed and at once looked towards the daughter of petamounoph meanwhile the night had suddenly fallen for there is no twilight in egypt night or rather a blue day treading close upon the yellow day in the azure of infinite transparency gleamed unnumbered stars their twinkling light reflected confusedly in the waters of the nile which was stirred by the boats that brought back to the other side the population of thebes and the last cohorts of the army were still tramping across the plain like a gigantic serpent when the barge landed tahoser at the gate of her palace end of chapter 3 recording by dion jines salt lake city utah